What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Nurse Ree, and you're tuning in to Forensic Nurse Files. This is an informative but fun true crime podcast that follows the careers of three forensic nurse examiners. We just want to note that this podcast uses foul language, some sarcasm, and contains descriptions of adult themes and violence that some people may find disturbing. So if you need support, please check the show notes or visit our website. Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk about elder abuse and dependent adult abuse. These are really near and dear to my heart. If y'all listened to the intro episode, you heard me talk about my background is in pediatrics. And then in the beginning of my nursing career, I also did a little bit of geriatrics. So these really pull at my heartstrings. And I know in previous episodes, we've cracked a lot of jokes. We've been laughing. We're going to reel it in a little bit as we're getting into these more serious cases. And not to say that suspicious injuries aren't serious cases because physical assaults, gunshots, stabbings, all those type of things are extremely serious cases and no one should ever put their hands on anybody. But a lot of the cases in our area that we saw were the result of bar fights or it was untreated mental health issues, which is a huge problem, or gang violence. And now we're getting into a little bit more elaborate cases. We're gonna talk about, as I said today, elder abuse and dependent adult abuse. And in future episodes, we have intimate partner violence coming up, child abuse, the child sexual assaults, the adult sexual assaults, and so on and so forth. So we really just want to outline each type of case that we see before we start getting into actual victim stories. So let's get into it. So elder abuse is an intentional act or failure to act that can cause or create a risk of harm to an older adult. Per the CDC, an older adult is someone age 60 or older, but in some states, 65 and older constitutes an older adult. Dependent adult abuse, which is also state-specific, so check with your governing agency, is someone between the ages of 18 and either 59 to 64, dependent on what your state recognizes as an older adult, that has certain mental or physical disabilities that keep them from being able to do normal activities or protect themselves. I feel like elder abuse also isn't talked about. I think the amount of child abuse cases that are unreported is huge, Mm -hmm. but the um, amount of elder abuse unreported is, like, astronomical. Yeah, I I agree. I feel like it either is the same or more than Than child child abuse. abuse. Because, I mean, think about it, right? Child abuse, uh, the victim is a child. Mm Mm-hmm. The, big, the child is seen a lot or, you know, needs more than elder abuse, they can't walk. Mm-hmm. You can't move them mm-hmm. as, easier, mm-hmm. as easy as children. Mm-hmm. They can't walk anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, honestly, I feel like if they can speak, people just think they have dementia. Yeah. You know, dreaming mm-hmm. or just thought it happened. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about common types of elder and dependent adult abuse. There's physical abuse, which is obviously assaulting somebody, inflicting physical pain or injury upon an older or dependent adult. Sexual abuse, which is not only intercourse, that includes touching or fondling or any other type of sexual activity that the dependent or older adult is unable to understand, unwilling to consent, threatened or physically forced. There's emotional abuse that can come in the form of verbal threats of abuse, verbal assaults, harassment, intimidation, confinement, which is restraining or isolating that person other than for medical reasons. 
passive neglect. This brings in a caregiver role, and that's a caregiver's failure to provide an older adult with life's necessities, including but not limited to food, clothing, shelter, and medical care. Willful deprivation, denying that older adult their meds, any kind of medical care, food, shelter, their therapeutic devices, physical assistance, anything like that, except when the older competent adult has expressed a desire to go without such care. So if they're saying that they don't want it, if they're denying or declining medical care or they're declining their meds, that is not willful deprivation because they are consenting to not having that medical care. Financial exploitation. So this one is huge. The misuse or withholding of an older adult's resources by another. If you guys think about it, how many scam text calls, emails you get. And when you're older and you don't really know technology like that, or you know, you're not really sure, it's easy to be scared into giving your information away. We hear so many stories about family members diverting money from older family members without them realizing it until way later and then they're in court trying to figure out what happened or an older person goes into a bank and they trust their bank teller and their bank teller ends up diverting funds. It happens very often. But as we'll get into later, we'll talk about statistics and who common perpetrators are. But first, let's talk about some risk factors. Individual risk factors, current diagnosis of mental illness. I think honestly that's a big huge huge one and I feel like and I want to say patients that are still alert and oriented are less likely to be believed yeah just because you can blame on their age yes like oh 100%. you know he, she's getting old he doesn't know what she's he's saying that mm-hmm. never happened mm-hmm. you know and of course you're gonna believe the well put together right family member who's right. been smuggling money out of their accounts right for the past 10 years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. that that is a really really big one yeah mental illness and just to add on to that mental impairment a diagnosis such as dementia or alzheimer's or any other kind of mental health disparities recent studies actually show that nearly half of those diagnosed with dementia experienced abuse or neglect and interpersonal violence also occurs at a disproportionately higher rate amongst adults with disabilities so those are our dependent adults right there and that's more on the mental side of things but there's also current physical health problems that's a really big one too like you touched on in the beginning like maybe they're immobile they need help getting around that puts them at a really high risk a lot of the ones that you've gotten and the one single one that I've gotten they were septic septic and tacky so septic and dehydrated and a lot of them are coming from some kind of facility or home past abuse of drugs or alcohol I didn't mm-hmm. think that about that but that's true like if they're an ex-drug addict or mm-hmm. current, they would probably be less likely to be believed past experience of disruptive behavior so if they have been aggressive in the past oh they're doing it again mm-hmm. they're just doing it again mm-hmm. it's another episode mm-hmm. you know whatever Past experience of traumatic events. So, oh, this person's family member used to hit them and Mm -hmm. they're still reeling from those injuries, but they're not happening now. Right. You know, they are. High levels of stress because high levels. I I feel like that one for all ages. Everything. Yeah. (laughs) For all ages. Anybody. Yeah. For anyone. Poor or inadequate preparation or training for caregiving responsibilities. Mm. Did you write these risk factors? I did not. These are CDC. Oh, (laughs) these are really good. Yeah. That's like a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Just like. And then social isolation. That one's hard Mm -hmm. because geriatric patients Mm -hmm. don't have any opportunities for social interaction Mm -hmm. other than the one person they depend on who is abusing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like, nowadays everything's technologic. Right. Elderly people don't know how to pick up an iPhone. And right, yeah. Most of them don't. Yeah. People, you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, they're very dependent, so, or can be. Not all of them, but they're... Some of them are very dependent, so. Yeah. Dang, I know. Nice. Ooh, a, this a, it's a lot. It's a lot. This is why it's so common. There's a lot of risk factors. Mm-hmm. Relationship risk factors. So high financial and emotional dependence upon a vulnerable elder. So mm-hmm. if somebody, if a caregiver has been completely dependent on that elder, on, that elder. on their funds and say the elder is deteriorating mm-hmm. or, you know, mentally and or physically. They dealing. start stealing. Past family conflict. I know family conflict is a huge mm-hmm. one. You get mad. Resentment. At somebody. Yeah. You can either be physically. Emotionally or psychologically. Yeah, or abusive. Some kind of abusive towards them just because of that. Inadequate coping skills. Mm-hmm. Exposure to witnessing abuse as a child. We were just talking about mm-hmm. how the cycle yep. stays a cycle until somebody breaks it. Yeah. I will tell you one of her. Oh, she had yeah. a family. A big family. A family of just like sexual assault. Yeah. And it started as a witness to abuse. Yeah. And then it just kept going. And then, so. yeah, the cycle continues. Mm-hmm. Inability to establish or maintain positive pro-social relationships. That kind of ties into what we talked about before. Social isolation. Social isolation yeah. yeah. And then lack of social support. So... Mm-hmm. Social isolation. isolation. (laughs) And then just a couple more like societal risk factors. And these are specific characteristics that happen in more of like an institutionalized setting, Mm -hmm. um, like nursing homes or residential facilities. Um, So staffing problems and lack of qualified staff. That's huge. I feel like those are the cases we see on the news in nursing homes or short staff or you hear family members like, well, my mom hasn't been turned or my whatever. She hasn't been getting her meds or she hasn't been getting the care that she needs. But we all know that we are in the middle of a major nursing shortage and not even just nursing, healthcare, people that work in a hospital setting in general. There's just a lack of, of people. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everything. Supplies, people. Yeah. All and the things. Then that ties into the second bullet point, which mm-hmm. is staff burnout and stressful working conditions. These two things, honestly, are huge, huge. Because think about it. When I graduated or when you graduate, how many people do you know went and worked in a nursing home? Oh. Maybe one. Maybe one. Very yeah. small percentage. Like nobody wanted to no do that. No one wanted to do that. And so if you're forced to do that, it's kind of like... And your heart's not in it. Yeah. It's just, you just... don't care. Yeah. And you're already doing something you don't want to be doing. Yeah. Then... The burnout mm-hmm. and the stress mm-hmm. add on top of that. Mm-hmm. I think a huge problem in nursing nowadays are these two things. Yeah. Staffing problems mm-hmm. and burnout and stress. Right. And if we're seeing it in the hospital, then you know, like, LTACs and nursing homes and stuff like that are, are seeing it ten times worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Which is so sad. Which mm-hmm. probably... Which probably ties into the elder abuse. Yeah. It's really sad and really depressing. Now that I have depression over <laughs> Now that I'm sad all over again. God. See, and this is like one fraction of what nurses have to go through. I know. You know, yeah. just one fraction for all, for all my non-medical people that yeah. don't understand the burnout, which is, it's it's understandable that you don't understand, but mm-hmm. for your, check on your nurse friends. We're not okay. We're not okay. <laughs> so at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that I worked in a nursing home at the beginning of my nursing career. I only lasted a few months before I was like, I'm out. The thing that made me be like, I'm out, the disrespect from the elderly. Oh, yeah. 
you know. So when there's dementia and when there's things like that, they tend to say and do things that they might not mean. And it's very hard to turn that off and not take that personally. And nobody wants to be just like berated all day. Yeah. I think for me, that was where my level of burnout really, really stemmed from Mm -hmm. is just people being very mean to me. Very mean to me. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because, okay, on the one hand, you have to protect yourself. But on the other hand, these elderly patients don't have the help that they need, which is really frustrating for them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard because there's there's different layers to this problem. It's mm-hmm. not just like a someone gets blamed and then yeah. one more nurse gets hired and then everything gets fixed. It's right. not like that. Right. So, And it also ties into like what we were saying before, the social isolation and stuff. That in and of itself, I think, like breeds anger in a person mm-hmm. and like you're just so in your anger. own head and you're reeling and you take it out on people who you might not mean to take it out on let's talk a little bit about who the perpetrators are and throw some statistics at y'all the most common perpetrators of elder and dependent adult abuse are children other family members and spouses And then there's also staff at nursing homes, assisted living, and other facilities. Abusers tend to be both men and women. In about 60% of elder abuse and neglect incidents, the perpetrator is a family member, and two-thirds of perpetrators are adult children or spouses. Elder abuse is a silent problem, and it robs seniors of their dignity, security, and in some cases, it can take their life. Up to 5 million older Americans are abused every year. About 1 in 10 Americans 60 and over have experienced some form of elder abuse. The annual loss by victims of financial abuse is estimated to be at least 36 and a half billion. 36.5 billion, y'all. It's crazy. Studies suggest that an estimated 1 in 24 cases of abuse are reported to authorities. And by 2034, so that's only 11 years away, It's anticipated that older Americans will outnumber children. Declining rates in fertility and the aging of the baby boom generation are believed to contribute to increasing ranks of older adults nationwide. I'm in my late 30s. I don't have kids. I know a lot of my friends that don't have kids or don't want kids. So um, we're seeing a trend now where people are choosing to maybe travel or, or do other things instead of having children. And that's other than what society has told us we're supposed to do. And that also adds to the increasing gap between the amount of elders and the amount of children that are present in the United States. So what we do with these patients is literally the same as what we just said with our suspicious injuries. It's going to be the same exact process. You're going to gather your supplies. You're going to go. You're going to introduce yourself. You're going to get consent. You're going to get consent. I only have really one elder abuse story, and it's ironic because... You started that case and and she passed the torch to me. So it's really not even my story. It's yours. Part A is yours and part B is mine. Yes. It's the same process, y'all. You're going to go, like she said, get consent, Mm -hmm. get their story, document their injuries. The only difference here is you're going to report to Adult Protective Services. Uh, In the same way that Child Protective Services exist, Mm -hmm. there is an APS, an Adult Protective services correct also correct so and then i the case that we shared was um what ended up happening to that guy was 
So in CPS, they removed the child and placed them in a foster home. Mm-hmm. The, I don't think there's some a foster home for adult. elderly patients. Mm-hmm. Um, that patient specifically got admitted. Do you remember? He got admitted, mm-hmm. and then he got admitted for placement. Mm-hmm. So I think they put him either in the skilled nursing or one of those home cares. Okay. Um, but that was part, part of the reason, other than the fact that he was subject in tacky. Yeah. Um, then they had to place him after they removed him. Yeah. But that, I don't know. You have to tell that story because... Yeah. Duct tape, girl? Duct tape. <laughs> Just remember duct tape, Just y'all. remember... D- and we're going to circle back I, to it. That I, was I didn't hard. believe you when you told me mm-hmm. that that was involved. Yeah. Until I turned him. So when you did him, it was your night shift, right? Yeah. So I came in as extra for day shift. Mm-hmm. And so in the ER, it's really hard to find help because the nurses are so busy. So you, I remember you... Um, not being able to turn him and clean him mm-hmm. by yourself. Right. And when I came in for a day shift, there happened to be nursing students there. Oh, perfect. Which helped me, yeah. you know, because they saw me with a camera. Shout out to nursing students. I know, students. shout we out to nursing students. We appreciate y'all. Like, you guys help so much. Hang in there. Um, no, but then they, they turned him. I think in the injuries you told me you couldn't get yeah. because the positioning was hard mm-hmm. by yourself. Mm-hmm. And there was still duct tape back there. There's, yeah. yeah, there's some bad ones out there. There's some really bad ones. And that's just the one I saw. Yeah. You had several. I had several. So, and then you often wonder what happened to them after. Yeah, that's the sad part of our job is we don't ever get the after story. Like, you always wonder, like, what happened to your patients. I mean, unless something goes to court. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's hard because, I mean, it's the same thing as if you were treating them in the hospital after they get discharged. Mm-hmm. You almost never see them again. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with us. We don't get a follow up. Yeah, we're almost like a since we're like an extra service. Like we don't follow a patient for our mm-hmm. whole shift, so we yeah. see them for like a max four hours. I mean, probably maybe there's longer ones, but that's like the max time mm-hmm. I think I've ever been. With. And there's different obstacles, right? The elder abuses. You have to think they they're older, mm-hmm. so did they survive it? And then yeah. the younger, the child abuses. They have to live the rest of it. And I feel like I had a lot of elder abuses that I started and then had to pass on because also night shift, they're sundowning and you're not going to wake up an elder at night. (laughs) Well, he's already fighting you. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of just let it be and then daytime, like they can do their thing. But I, for some reason, would always get the report. (laughs) Elder abuse queen. (laughs) Yes. Yes, queen. I just want to quickly throw out some warning signs at y'all that you can look for. Signs of physical abuse, neglect, or mistreatment can include bruises, pressure marks, broken bones, any signs of a physical assault. You could look for dehydration or any kind of unusual weight loss. If they're missing their daily living aids, like say a hearing aid or a walking cane or anything they use normally on the daily to help them get by. If they're in unsanitary living conditions, you notice poor hygiene, or you notice unattended medical needs, those are all warning signs. Some signs of emotional abuse can be unexplained withdrawal from normal activities, a sudden change in alertness or depression, strained or tense relationship if you see them arguing with the caregiver on the regular, increased fear or anxiety, isolation from their friends or family, unusual changes in behavior of sleep, all that kind of stuff. Some signs of financial abuse can be sudden changes in financial situations. If you notice fraudulent signatures on financial documents, any kind of unpaid bills, 
unusual or sudden changes in spending patterns, say there's a sudden change in their will or any other kind of financial documentations, those are all things that you might just want to take a little closer look at. So how can we help prevent elder abuse? First thing is you you can do is listen to older adults and their caregivers to understand their challenges and provide support. Mm-hmm. I like how this is written because it says older adults and their caregivers. Yes. So just because the caregiver is able doesn't mean that their load isn't heavy. Right. Um, and caregivers will have compassion fatigue mm-hmm. and also not say anything to anybody mm-hmm. about it until... Until it's too late, yeah. Or never. Yeah. You know? And then just like our case that we were just talking about, the caregiver was the abuser. So... Not only listening to their caregiver when they're saying that something's wrong, but listening when everything is too good. Too perfect. Yeah. They love their job. Everything is about them, Mm -hmm. you know, about the patient. You can, you you definitely have to at least keep a little eye on that. Just use your common sense. You're nurses. You have an intuition. Like, Dude, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. You just you just pick up on things. Yeah. So report abuse or suspected abuse to local adult protective services, long term care ombudsman, if your state has that or the police use the National Center on Elder Abuse listing of state elder abuse hotlines to find your state's reporting numbers, the government agencies, state laws and other resources. So Mm -hmm. just really, if you see something, report it. If it's nothing, that's fine. You did your due diligence, but if it, it, there's always the chance that it might be something yeah. and it doesn't hurt to report. And I feel like you can report anonymously. You can too. report anonymously. I know you can for CPS. Yeah. But I don't see why APS would be different. Yeah, you can. Um, if you have a fear of retaliation, you can do it anonymously. So educate yourself and others about how to recognize and report elder abuse. So use the resources that were just mentioned. Learn how signs of elder abuse differ from normal aging process. That's a good one. That is a good one, especially for people that aren't medical. Not to say that people that aren't medical wouldn't be able to, but you also know your your family member. If they're really scared all of a sudden mm-hmm. or they regress uh, some kind of way some type of way because just because someone's old doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing things doesn't mean they're in a mental decline mm-hmm. um there's plenty i mean i had a 90 year old come in the er once mm-hmm. fleeing from um an assault from her son and she was driving and she was fine was she not, really? yeah she drove herself to the er what completely Did she look 90? Yeah. Yeah. She had COVID too. Uh, she was in that like um that front room that where the bride riders yeah. sit in the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She looked 90, but she was mentally with it. Physically she was with it. But so that's why she came to ER. Yeah, because her son was threatening her. Oh mm-hmm. I think I remember this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, am I supposed to do something for this? Because there was an actual there wasn't an actual physical, there was a threat of physical assault. I mean we definitely did yeah. it, yes though, right? Yeah. yeah. And so she was scared and she brought herself into the ER. Good for her. I know. I hope she's okay too. 90. So just because they're old doesn't mean they're not capable. Mm -hmm. So just make sure you can tell the difference. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Check in on older adults who may have few friends and family members. Mm -hmm. So that one, girl, I know life is busy. But if there's someone who is dependent on another person... Just check on that person and their caregiver. Mm-hmm. Also, I I would suggest, but I don't know if this is technically the right way to do it, but 
Paul and Adele and come over uninvited. Yeah. <laughs> just show up. Just show up. Because if they know you're coming, right, just think about it. Yeah. Oh, you can front real good. Right. You know, someone's coming. Make everything look pristine. Clean. Clean Mm -hmm. the patient up right before. Yeah, just come over. Yeah. Just show up. Just pop up. Yeah, just pop up. Pop up one good time. Provide overburdened caregivers with support, such as help from friends, family, or local relief care groups, adult daycare programs, counseling, outlets intended to promote emotional well-being. So, yeah, just people need a break. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Just even even a portion of their shift. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Help as much as you can. I mean, with the mental health capacity that you have, right? Right. Um, Because it's really hard being a sole caregiver. Mm -hmm. It's very hard. It's very hard Mm -hmm. um, and very taxing. So it it would be good to preserve their emotional well-being. Right. And especially if you know you're... Providing support. Yeah, Mm -hmm. 100%. Especially if you know, if it's your family member and you know they can be a little bit extra or they can be yeah. difficult, oh just gosh. try to check in on the caregiver. Just a little bit, right? Yeah. And then yeah. Um, encourage and assist persons, either caregivers or older adults, having problems with drug or alcohol abuse and getting help. Mm-hmm. No, see drug abuse in older adults who are prescribed the drugs they're prescribed. Mm-hmm. That subject gets a little finicky, too. Mm-hmm. The, if the person who's giving them the meds, make sure that they're giving them the correct dosages dose. and yeah. not themselves the meds. Yes. <laughs> that happens a lot. That right? also happens a lot. Yeah. So this was a good list. I know. Good. Shout out to the CDC. Shout out to the CDC. They've been getting a bad rap lately, but that, that was it. But that was really good. Yeah. That was really, really good. So yeah. they did that. I feel like we just threw so much information at you guys in such a short amount of time. If you're still with us, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.